A little learning for the Shabbat afternoon. (laughs) I miss seeing your faces back and hearing your voices back. After this, I'm going to go home, run home, and be with you for Zoom out for Shabbat. Maybe you'll join me there, and I can see your faces. And I'm going to teach a little tag, a little coda again to this Torah that I'm about to share with you about this coming week's Parsha, actually the first of two, as I mentioned. We have Bahar and Bechukotai this coming week. And in the first Torah portion, Bahar, we have a focus on this idea of a Shnat Shabbaton, also on lots of other concepts of what happens when the land gets an opportunity to rest. That is the land that it's going to be a Nachala, an inheritance to us, the land that we are going to inherit as a people is going to have a time when we are commanded not to work it. Actually, several different types of times when we're commanded not to work it. As I spoke about a little bit last night on the Zoom into Shabbat, we already know that there are times when we're supposed to cease from malacha, from types of work, which include agricultural working of the land. You know from some of them, right? You know about Shabbat. You know about Yom Tov. These are times when we don't work the land. And there are also whole years when we don't work the land. And we learn about them in this week's Parsha, and I want to speak about the Shnat Shabbaton for just a few minutes. I actually read the verse that I'm about to teach on a few minutes ago, so if you still have out whatever version of the Hebrew Bible, the Chumash, the Tanakh, whatever you had in front of you, You can reopen it and you could study it with me, or I'll teach it to you because I'm going to read the verse out loud in Hebrew and in English. This is from the 25th chapter of Leviticus of Vayikra, from the fifth verse. When we're taught that we're not supposed to do a few certain things during this Shanat Shabbaton, which is also known as the Shemitah year, you might have heard of that idea before, this idea of a seventh year cycle, just as the seventh day of the week is a day of rest, every seventh year, there is going to be a resting and a not working of the land. Not only is it a rest for us, it is a rest for the land itself. That's what I'm going to teach about today. So here's the verse. Et sefiach kitsircha, so it begins talking about the direct object that we're not supposed to interface with. The Sefiach Kitsircha. I'm going to speak about this word Sefiach today. For now, I'm going to translate it as aftergrowth, but I'm going to give you a much fancier word in a few minutes. The aftergrowth of your Kitsircha, your harvest, lo tixor, don't harvest it. You can hear in Kitsircha and tixor the same exact root. Don't harvest the aftergrowth of your harvest. Aftergrowth being what happens when you don't actually do the harvesting. The growth of your crops or the area around your crops when you're not actually working those crops and working the land that those crops are growing on. Ve'et, and also, in ve'nezirecha lo tibzor. Also, the grapes of your untrimmed vines, don't gather them. Shanat shabaton, there it is, there's the year. Shanat, you can hear in that Shana. Shabbaton, and you can hear in that Shabbat. 
but Shabbaton. It shall be a year of Sabbathing, of resting, like Lishboting, right? Lishbot, Lishbot is Yom HaShvi'i, right? God rested on the seventh day. We rest on the seventh day of the week, and now we have the Shnat Shabbaton, the seventh year in the cycle. Yeh La'aretz. It shall be a year of complete rest, a Shnat Shabbaton, of Shabbating, of Sabbathing, for the land. I'm going to speak about this idea of sfiach for just a few minutes. So uh, we could talk about all the different things that don't happen during the Shnat Shabbaton and also the consequences of what happens when the land isn't worked and when we don't work the land, which are really two different things, right? There's the passive consequences or there's the passive not working of the land, this idea of arts, it shall be a year of rest for the land. So what happens to the land during that time? That's what I'm going to speak about now. There's also a whole other concept of what happens to us when we rest during that year, which can be really trepidatious consequences. And there's a lot to be said about that as well. I'm not going to say that today. Today I'm just going to speak about the consequences to the land. And this Safiya Ketzircha. This idea of the aftergrowth of your land. And I'm going to speak about what happens when we don't work a crop and when seeds get left over from harvesting and grow up and we don't do anything about them. And what happens when those plants during the course of an entire year start to grow up and grow up and grow up around the crops that we would normally spend a lot of time, though you and I, most of us, I'm guessing, watching, are not farming, even probably not like raising herb gardens on our windowsills, most of us, though maybe some of you do garden a little bit. I'd love to hear about that. And I would have if we were together, I hope. But during this time, if you were leaving it alone, there would be plenty of plant growth happening on its own. That's the Sophia. And there's this wonderful world, word that's used both in the word of, world of finances and also in the world of astrophysics. And we're going to pay attention to the definition it gets in the wor world of astrophysics in just a moment. I'm bringing to you a teaching from Rob Eliyahu Monk, who is a like late 19th century, early 20th century teacher, and he brings a teaching that's built upon something from the Zohar, and he says the following. At the end of every Shnat Shabbaton, this earth, it produces these Sfichim, right? Obviously. There's going to be Sfich. This verse presumes, and it's right, that there's going to be aftergrowth wherever you let the earth rest, because we haven't plowed and we haven't seeded. And he speaks about this idea that since we have left the Garden of Eden, since we have left Eden, our entire sustenance in this world is based on the idea of Sophiach. We are living off of Sophiach. And here's how he gets there. He gets there based on this idea of accretion. That's the word in astrophysics. Accretion is this accumulation of particles into a massive object by gravitationally attracting more matter, usually gaseous matter, into an accretion disk. 
So most astronomical objects, like galaxies and stars and planets, are formed by accretion processes. Now I want you to translate that to plant growth for a minute, and our planet, and picture the world building itself up layer by layer by layer by layer. What this teaching is saying is the following. Since the beginning of the world, when God, through God's proverbial sacred hands in the air, and said, the earth is the human's to work now. It is yours to take care of now. The world became a place of accretion. Rather than God, for the most part, having interference in it, it became a place where it built up like an unworked land, meaning that God wasn't working the land. It became a place of eternal shnat shabatoniness to God, and it became a place of accretion in God's relationship with it. And God has to stand back, so to speak, and watch as the world becomes a place of svichim, or of sviach, a place of accumulation, of the layers upon layers upon layers of what happens when God doesn't work the land, but rather we do. Like the creatures just become this place of accretion and matter upon matter upon matter within it. And that when we have a shnat shabbaton, that we get to experience that in the land. That we get to experience what God experiences but we experience that for a year at a time vis-a-vis -vis the land, watching what happens when the land grows up. So here's what I want to offer to you on this idea and this topic. What does that mean for us, right, in a practical relationship with the land and with the earth? Well, it matters whether we appreciate or draw anxiety from the stuff that we see growing up when we don't touch the land and we watch it sitting there. Because to go directly, not metaphorically, but to go directly to watching land that normally we work tirelessly every single day to create a space of sustenance for ourselves, maybe even a crop that we sell that is also sustenance for other people, and stuff that becomes sales that then sustain us as well, right? A place that we work every day to clear of unwanted growth and to grow the things we want to grow, that when we leave it be, that what grows up around there might cause a great deal of anxiety. It certainly did for God. But it also might grow a great deal of exciting things and surprising things. And that is also teased at in this teaching as well. And the way that I would like to suggest that we think about it is to think about the difference between volunteer plants and weeds. What's the difference between a volunteer plant and a weed? I bet you know what a weed is, right? A weed that grows up anywhere on, let's say, your property or around a space, let's say you actually do garden, is something that shows up usually in a space that you're trying to grow something else or maybe you're trying to grow nothing and a plant shows up there 
and it might be invasive, right? And so we call it a weed, and it grows there. And a volunteer plant is a plant that shows up, and you say, huh, I didn't plant that there, but look, it appears to be growing. So I have to first do the work to identify it, because because I didn't plant it, I can't say, oh, that's a rose that I planted, or that's a tomato vine that I planted, or that's a bush of this nature that I planted because I didn't plant it, so I have to identify it and figure out if I want it there. What's the difference between a volunteer plant and a weed? Potentially nothing. Potentially there's no difference between a volunteer plant and a weed. But there are three potential differences between them, meaning why we would call the plant a volunteer plant versus a weed. I want to suggest these three. What makes a plant a volunteer plant instead of a weed? If it's sefia, if it's growing up in a time where we take our hands off of the earth and we let it grow there. If it's wanted, it's a volunteer plant and it's not a weed. If we choose to tend to it instead of ripping it out, then it's a volunteer plant and not a weed. If we choose to let it grow and just see what happens next, then it's a volunteer plant and not a weed. Here's my Torah to you this week. We are living in a time of Shnat Shabbaton, involuntarily so in this world. So long as we are under stay-at-home orders, we are not working our land in a lot of ways. It's exciting, it's terrifying. It's terrifying and it's exciting and it depends whether you are a business owner or a gardener or a teacher or a rabbi or whatever it is that you do, whether you are a parent, a child, both, neither. Whether that is a terrifying prospect, exciting, or both. That the land, the world, is going a bit untouched at the moment. That we're not working it and not manipulating it at this time. And there's plenty of sefiach, there are plenty of sefichim that are cropping up in this time, that are growing up without us inviting them there. And it's going to be up to us to identify those things that come up in this period of time as being volunteer plants or being weeds. At the end of this, as we emerge from this, Whatever the end means, because there will be many ends and maybe new beginnings to this as well, we are going to have to look at what has cropped up in this interim, and we're going to have to ask about each of these sefichim, each of these things that have grown up that weren't there before, because we were busy manipulating the land and making it what it needed to be, busy manipulating our world and making it what we needed of it but with our hands off, things have come into existence. Again, exciting, and also anxiety-provoking things. We're going to look at each of them, and we're going to ask, is it wanted? Should we tend to it? Should we choose to let it grow and see what happens next?